Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio, this is Raider Nation Radio 920. Unnecessary Roughness. Unnecessary Roughness. I think this, that somewhere within the first five to ten plays of the game, the other team's quarterback must go down. And he must go down hard. It's Unnecessary Roughness here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Here's your boy, Q. And here we are, Raider Nation. We have made it to Friday. We're staring the weekend straight in the face. And, of course, Raiders preseason game number two comes up on Sunday at Allegiant Stadium. 125 will be the kickoff. Of course, you can hear that game right here on Raider Nation Radio 920. was back out at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center for practice earlier today. The Raiders were indoors, and it was a very relaxed and kind of chill, almost a sleepy type practice and I say sleepy type not for the players not for the coaches but really for the guys like myself that were standing around watching just because we were at the the far end zone and the team was they were going through their drills they were going through what they were doing but it's kind of a it's, it's a little bit less energy first of all when you're inside uh two the weather's a little kind of weird and then three it's you know you're you're realizing that there's a they're, they're taking it easy as they're preparing for a game on Sunday. So it's not like they're going full throttle. So uh, we, we stood there, we watched, and it's always great to be out there and observe what's going on. Uh, but it was really one of those like safe practices to make sure they went through. It was almost like a glorified walkthrough with a little bit more intensity than a walkthrough, right? So uh, it was still good, like I said, to be out there. Uh, we talked to head coach Josh McDaniels earlier this morning. Then we talked to linebacker coach Antonio Pierce, uh, talked to defensive tackle, uh, uh, Kyle Pico, and then we also talked to center Andre James. So we had a, a very loaded day today. You know, we had a lot going on today, but, uh, you know, it's it's all about Sunday. It's all about the game on Sunday, and, and when I say the game, obviously it's a, it's a preseason game, so it's all about the opportunity for these guys to carve out a niche and carve out a role on this team and uh, really, you know, solidify their roster spots. So that's what we'll be talking about, obviously, on Sunday after we watch the game. And then on Monday, we'll be talking about who did what and who did where. And, you know, not necessarily the score. Scores don't matter in none of these preseason games. It's all about just putting in the work and trying to build up uh, that, that roster spot and try to solidify that roster spot for, you know, uh, a handful of guys that are on the team. Because, of course, there's already uh, plenty of roster spots that are already solidified. But I'd say there's about a handful of spots that are up for grabs. And Sunday will be one day closer to uh, being able to solidify one of those spots. Now, Damon, before we even get into the show, and Damon's back in the, the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio, I'm in the home studio, I am very excited about me sitting here and what I'm looking up at, at the TV screen. I always have ESPN on in my home studio. Uh, I know we always have ESPN on in the studio there in the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. And something I was very angry about a couple days ago, uh, not angry, I think that's the wrong word. It's probably a little over over uh, use of the word. But uh, I was a little uh, fired up about, let's just say, pretty fired up about was the Little League World Series and the fact that the, the team representing Nevada, which is from Henderson, uh, happened, to, happened to lose the other night. And I didn't like the way that they lost, and I put that on the coaches and thought, man, what are you guys doing? You know, you guys blew it. Well, they weren't eliminated completely. You know, they just they just had to go through a loser's bracket to to continue to play. Well, today, in a matter of minutes, probably in about five to uh, less than ten minutes, they're going to be playing another game. They're playing against Utah for the opportunity to go to the Little League World Series to actually make the the the, the big deal trip to the real deal. I mean, these are all just the regionals, and you know, the opportunity to get to the Little League World Series. They're going to be playing in a matter of minutes. So I feel a little bit better now that they have their chance. All they got to do is win this game, and they're, 
they're off to the Little League World Series. But did you see the finish from the Oregon-Washington game on a game that did decide who get to go to the Little League, Little League World Series? Was that when, – when, when was that? Right now? I want to say it was last night, but I just saw oh, it on no, Twitter it. where it was a ball. It was a hit called a ball, but it was clearly – it was clearly foul. Okay. It was clearly called foul, but they called it safe, and then the runner comes in, comes into home because the coaches are still just waving them through like, hey. Right. And then, like, they're like, they're going to go to replay, and then it was just, like, a big ordeal. Now, that was something, if you're from Washington, where that's right. you, you lose your head over that, where it's, hey, this called foul, right? Right. And then, like, go to the replay, and it's just, nah, man, we want to get out of here. It really blows my <laughs> mind that like, there's, there's replay in Little League. I mean, that really blows my mind. I get it. They're going to the World Series, but it blows my mind that there is actual replay in the Little League World Series, like, for an opportunity to go. It's just – I mean, again, I know that technology is great, but sometimes it's almost like you're overthinking it, right? I mean, cameras, replay for a Little League game. But, you know, hey, you have it. I know it's a big deal, so no doubt. Go ahead and go. Now, the only thing about this game that's going to happen in a few minutes, this team that they lost to the other night that I was upset about is the same team they're playing again. So the team from Santa Clara, Utah, is going up against Henderson, Nevada for an opportunity to go all the way on to the Little League World Series and, and really represent. So I'll be monitoring that, to, to say the least. I'll be monitoring that throughout the course of the show, and I'll continue to give you updates because I'm all in. I'm all the way in. I'm all the way in, Damon. Uh, just like I was fired up the other night and I was watching it, literally giving updates on the score on uh, ESPN National Radio, I'm going to be giving updates on the score throughout the course of Unnecessary Roughness. It's, it's the inevitable. It's going to happen. You need to get in contact with the coach. You know, Let him know that he's got an ally. That's well, he rude. should know. You know, just, hey, guys, we got to do it for Q. Don't do it for yourselves. <laughs> no, nah, they ain't worried about me. They ain't worried about me. But I'll say this. I'll tell you this. If they win this game and they do get an opportunity to go to the Little League World Series, please believe the coach will be on the show. I'll definitely get the coach on the show. That's no doubt about it. I mean, you got to represent, right? Got to take care of those around you. So uh, hopefully they win this game and we can talk to uh, Coach next week as they prepare to go to the Little League World Series. But first, got to handle your business. Santa Clara, Utah is who they're playing this, uh, this afternoon. Matter of fact, in a matter of minutes, everything will get started. But coming up on the show today, let me get back to business. Coming up on the show today, coming up at 2.30, Paul Gutierrez from ESPN. He's going to join the show to talk about this latest piece that he put out on ESPN.com where he was talking about the weapons that the Raiders have. But it only is going to matter if the offensive line can handle their, their end of the bargain. And so, obviously, the offensive line has been something we've talked about, I mean, till, till we're blue in the face, right? We've been talking about the offensive line for a very long time. Uh, we know that Brandon Parker is injured. We don't know the severity yet. Uh, there's all kind of speculation out there, but nothing has been uh, cemented in concrete. So we don't, we don't know uh, when he's going to return, uh, if he's going to return, what the case may be. So you're looking at the guys along the offensive line, and you're just kind of wondering – you know, are they going to make a move? Are they going to go outside uh, of the of the organization and bring a, a, a veteran in? What are they going to do with the offensive line? Because it has to be solidified or else everything that they've done, all the pieces that they put around Derek Carr to help him, you know, achieve the ultimate goal is not going to work. They've got to be able to put that, you know, the offensive line together. And I'll say what they did in the Hall of Fame game was okay. You know, I think it was a good step. I don't think obviously it was a, it's a finished product, but it was a good step. Right. It was, a, it was a OK, you see some positivity there. And of course, as we talked to Lincoln Kennedy yesterday, there are things that Josh McDaniels can do to kind of scheme up a little bit to help out the offensive line. You know, get the ball out of Derek Carr's hand, uh, Derek Carr's hand pretty quickly to allow that offensive line to have an opportunity. But 
still you want to be able to take those big explosive shots. And to be able to take those big explosive shots, you've got to have a few seconds to, to allow the play to develop. So uh, we'll talk to Paul coming up at 2.30 about his piece about the offensive line, get his thoughts on the offensive line, and if he thinks that the team will go outside of the organization and bring somebody in. Not to mention Paul was at the Aces game last night and um, – Chopped it up with Darren Waller for a couple minutes, and Darren Waller was not at practice again today. And uh, according to Paul, he put out on Twitter that he believes that uh, Darren believes that he'll be back next week. But we'll we'll ask him about that as well. Just you know, his couple seconds uh, interaction with uh, with Darren Waller it was nothing uh, earth shattering or, or news breaking, you know, something like that. But but he did get a couple minutes to talk to him, and so we'll ask Paul about that. I think it's really cool that. You know, Darren's going out to the Aces games and he's there. You know, he's very visible knowing that, you know, people are wondering about his status, what he's doing as far as practice. Is he injured? Is, he, is it the contract situation? But he's still going out there and he's doing his everyday routine. What he would always do is what he's doing. So I, I thought that was pretty cool. And, of course, the Aces always have a big draw and plenty of people are there. And, of course, Mark Davis is always sitting there courtside. And last night he had Floyd Money Mayweather. What you know about that? Money Mayweather sitting next to – Sitting next to Mark Davis. Is that is that something for the fight game? Is that a nugget for the fight game? It's something to mention because anytime Floyd's in the news, it's good. I mean Is it? Yeah, oh, 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 yeah, it's not yeah. always he good when Floyd's news. in the news. Uh, you know what? I take that back. You're right. He, he is in the news a lot for some other things that right. are not so good. Right, exactly. But him sitting next to M D at an Aces game, that's something that's definitely something to take note of because what could they be talking about? You ever but, see people that when they're sitting next to a game and you wonder how did this friendship come about or what are they actually talking about? Right. That's one. I want to be a fly on the wall for that conversation. There you go. I'm not mad at that at all. So we'll talk to Paul coming up at 2.30 at 3 o'clock. The new uh, voice of the silver and black, Jason Horowitz, he's going to join the show. We talked to Lincoln Kennedy yesterday. He does the color commentary. Jason does the play-by-play. He was over at uh, Raiders HQ at practice earlier today. He was at practice yesterday, so obviously he's in town preparing for the game on Sunday. Uh, got a little bit of a, a walkthrough of the facility, was able to sit down with coaches and players and just have a little uh, little, you know, a little meeting and everything. Um, and so we'll talk to him about that. We'll talk to him about his expectations for this uh, Sunday's game, talk to him about the coaches, where their mindset is at right now, and then also just talk about him getting the, the you know the very first play-by-play under the belt. You know what was it like? What was the experience like at the Hall of Fame game? And oh, by the way, before your first call, you're you're no everyone's going to be a little nervous. I don't care how long you've been doing it, you're always going to be a little nervous. Oh, there's a there's a rain delay. There's a weather delay. So now you're ready to get started, but now you got to push that start back a little bit further because, well, there's a weather delay. So we'll talk to Jason coming up at 3 o'clock. We'll talk to him all things silver and black, this upcoming game, and also the experience from the Hall of Fame game. Then at 4 o'clock, Vinny Bonsignor will join us. Of course, he, he does from the morning tailgate and the Las Vegas Review Journal. He's also out there at practice each and every day. Uh, we'll get his thoughts around the Raiders and th- thoughts on just the team, the way that things are getting put together. You know, just – all, all, all in all, just general conversation. So we'll talk to Paul, really, and we'll focus on the offensive line when it comes to the Raiders. But then we'll just talk general Raiders with Vinny at 4 o'clock. So those are the three guests that we have lined up. Paul Gutierrez at 2.30, Jason Horowitz at 3, and Vinny Bonsignor will close things out at 4 o'clock. Also in the show, you'll hear a little bit from Josh McDaniels, who we met with earlier today. So around 3.30, you'll hear some sound bites from him. And then... Antonio Pierce, the Raiders linebacker coach. It's always great to catch up with him. He uh, he was supposed to talk to us yesterday. He didn't talk to us today. So you'll hear that conversation coming up at 4.30. So those are all, all the different guests that we have and everything we have lined up on the show. Let's go ahead and jump into the opening drive. 
The opening drive of Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio 920 is brought to you by Southern Nevada Chevy Dealers, home of the Chevy Silverado, the strongest, most advanced Silverado ever. And the Raiders just made official that they signed cornerback Nate Brooks. They also put Cravon LeBlanc on the uh, reserve injured list, so his season is over for the Silver and Black. But Nate Brooks, who was actually out at practice today, Tashawn Reed uh, put out the tweet earlier today that uh, Nate Brooks was out there participating and practicing with the Raiders today. Uh, the email says that Brooks joins the Raiders after spending time on the practice squads for the Cardinals in 2019 and 2022, the Dolphins in 2019, Baltimore Ravens in 2020 and 2021, and the Tennessee Titans in 2021. Originally signed with the Cardinals as an undrafted free agent in 2019, he He's been in four career games with two stars, totaling 10 tackles and two passes defense. So, uh, you know, Cravon Cravon LeBlanc, excuse me, he was uh, a long shot to make the squad. He's obviously on the injured reserve list. So, again, his season's over. So now Nate Brooks is going to get those reps in camp. He'll get those reps in the preseason games and most likely a long shot to make the squad as well. But he's getting his shot. And so just wanted to give you a roster update as far as we know right now. But. What I wanted to get into, the real topic and, and questions that I had, and I got a couple questions that I want to throw out there that you can uh, respond to and talk to us about at 69187, keyword r and then the Raider Nation listener line also is 702-365-9200. And really this question, one of the questions came from Jason Horowitz when I was standing there. It was me, Vinny, and Jason sitting there talking while we were watching practice, and he just asked straight up because he's still getting familiar with the team, when was the last time the Raiders had this much buzz and hype heading into the season? Because right now, regardless of what you think about a Raider Nation, regardless of if you feel like a team is giving or an analyst or, or uh, you know, different outlets are giving the Raiders props or not, there's a lot of buzz around this team. There's a lot of buzz right now around the fan base. There's a lot of folks nationally that are starting to come around on the Raiders. And there's still some that are, are kind of bullish, that are like, well, we'll take a wait-and-see approach. It don't really matter. It don't matter what the conversation is about. The Raiders' name is in the conversation right now. So it's very, very topical they are a very topical team right now right I mean you really can't go too far without talking about the Raiders I mean no matter where I go uh people say hey man uh, the Raiders man they're, they're gonna have a good team this year huh man what do you think what are they gonna how many games are they gonna win like everyone is talking about the Raiders right now so uh Jason asked me when was the last time the Raiders had this much buzz and hype heading into a season and my answer because it's been a long time my answer though was most recently I thought it was 2017 and the reason I felt it was 2017 is because everyone goes back to the 2016 season. Everyone goes back to when they made the playoffs in 2016, and obviously they, they went to the playoffs without Derek Carr. They lost to the Houston Texans. They had Connor Cook as the quarterback. But 2017, remember, that was going to be the year. They went out and made the move for Marshawn Lynch. You know, they brought in some other guys. It looked like, oh, man, this is going to be a great team. And this is exactly what I told Jason. Everybody was hyped about this team. I thought the team was going to make some big moves. They won the first two games of the, uh, of the regular season, and then week three happened. And that's exactly how I worded it to them. I said, then week three happened. They went to D.C. They played the Washington football team, who wasn't the Washington football team. They were the Redskins at that time, and the wheels fell off. And the rest of the season was a crapshoot. That was, that was my point of view. So that hype that, that, that for that 2017 season, it didn't last very long, right? It really didn't, just because I felt like the, the, the wheels – Fell off the tracks pretty quick, fast, and in a hurry. But I want to throw it out there to you. I want to hear from you, Red Nation. 702-365-9200. Salmonash, text line 69187, keyword R&R. I know there's plenty of folks that have been watching the Raiders for a very long time, probably longer than me, and you have your own thoughts on when the, the hype was this high for the Silver and Black, if the hype was this high. That's another part of the question. Has, has there been 
an offseason, a training camp, a preseason where the hype was and the expectations were as high as it is this year? That could be another part of the question, as a matter of fact, because you know what? There might not have been a, a, an offseason where it's the buzz is like it is right now. So definitely hit us up and let us know about it. I'd love to hear from you. And then the other question I, I had, and I'll probably update this one probably about four games into the season, maybe five games into the season, maybe the bye week. Yeah, maybe I'll uh, update this question around the bye week. But where's your confidence level with this new regime, this front office, this coaching staff, the overall direction of the team? You know, I asked this question about a month ago. You know, are you happy with the new, the new hires? Are you happy with the guys that are in place, the coaches, the front office? Do you like the direction, the overall direction? Because there's a lot of new. There's a lot of new on this team this year. Probably the most new I've seen in a very long time. So I just want to know, where are you right now as it stands on August 12th? Are you, is your overall level of confidence and, and are you happy with what you're seeing? Because for me, I think that the, the, the organization is probably headed in the, right, in the best direction it's gone in, in a long time. And that's not a shot at the team at all. At all. I just feel like what we're seeing right now, what we're hearing right now, the players that have been brought in, the coaches, all of the coaches. I'm not just talking about Josh McDaniels. I'm talking about them all. Patrick Graham, you know, Chris, Chris Ash, <laughs> you know, I mean, all, all, these, all these different guys out there. Antonio Pierce, it just feels like that they know, they know what they're doing on a, on a confidence level, from a confidence standpoint. Like, you, it just feels right. Now, again, they haven't played one game that matters. So it could all feel good and look good and not be worth a damn, right? We know that. My grandma said that, rest in peace. My grandmother said that all the time. Just because it looks good, feels good, don't mean it is good. So obviously they got to go out there and prove it. But I'll tell you right now, I don't think I've been more confident in the direction this team has gone in a long time like I am right now. I could be, you know, I could be seeing something that's not there. But to me, it feels like it's heading in the right direction. So that's the other question that I wanted to ask to you, again, at 702-365-9200 and the Salmon Ash text line 69187, keyword r uh, Overall direction of the team, how are you feeling about it right now as of August 12th? And, Devon, I'll start with you. And I know you haven't been around the Raiders for a very long time, but you've seen enough. You know, you're no dummy. You've seen enough. You know, how, how are you feeling about the, the direction that the team is going right now after you've seen all the hires and all the coaches that come in and all the players that have been brought in? It's the first time since I've been following the Raiders and covering the Raiders that it looks like a plan is in place, one that's going to lead to substantial winning and not just, hey, in a few years, then we'll be on track. Because I felt like that when Gruden was first hired, it was the, hey, maybe not this year, but in a couple of years. But with this team, it's now is the time. It's right. not like a – because maybe the team will be better next year than it is this year. We don't know that for sure. But right. if they're not laying down this year is the most important part. Right. No, you're right. And it, it feels like, you know, if they were to go and win the division, it's like, okay, it makes sense. Right? You know, okay, hey, they got the team. They, go, they went and did it. And if they don't, it was, you say, okay, you still expect the team to be really good. Right? I mean, the goal's got to be to win the division. Obviously, the goal is just to get into the playoffs. <laughs> Let me, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but you want to you wanna make the playoffs, but you obviously want to win the division as well. So that's got to be the goal at, at the beginning of the season is always to, to do the best you can, which is win the division and then go from there. But, I, I mean, I, I look at the AFC West and I say, you know what, this team has a good enough opportunity. Their, their opportunity is there just like the rest of the teams. Uh, again, and we'll talk to Paul coming up at 2.30. You know, the offensive line does their part of the, the, the job and their defense is, you know, even 
a little bit better than they were last year, I don't see why they couldn't. Obviously, the Chiefs, the Chargers, and the Broncos are going to have something to say about that as well, right? I mean, you can't just you know pencil in a, a division championship, but you have a puncher's chance. And so I feel like going into the season, like Raider Nation should feel pretty excited and pretty pumped up about the opportunity that this team has. Of course, because 10-7 and seven last season, and everyone's predicting, we all know the odds in Vegas where it's eight and a half wins. That can easily be nine. That can easily be 10 if you get the right break. So with the direction of this team, you have to look at it going into the season as they were a playoff team last season. And that's one of the things. I'm not saying people are forgetting it in the national coverage or when people are not picking the Raiders. But making the playoffs, being a playoff team, I don't care about how bad the offensive line was last season. I just assume, you just have to assume if you're going to be on the positive side, but just players getting better like Alex Leatherwood, Andre James, that was his first season starting at center, that those players are going to elevate their game just a little bit. And I just think that there's been a little too much of, hey, just because the other three teams in the division have gotten better, that it's easy to say, well, somebody's got to lose some games and it's going to be the Raiders. You know, and I'll say this, I I can't tell you that the Chiefs got better. I can't tell you that they got better. I can tell you that they're still the Chiefs, right? I mean, they're still the Chiefs, so I don't want to you know, throw salt on their name, but uh, I don't think that they got better. I mean, you lose Tyreek Hill, I don't think that you improve. Now, I know that they went out and addressed it, but Tyreek Hill is a different animal, right? He's a, he's a cheat code. So uh, I don't think that they got better, but I do think that they still have the best head coach in the division in Andy Reid, and he's going to find a way to push the buttons that he needs to push. So they're still going to be a very, very competitive team, but I do t- think they take a little bit – of a step back. My biggest question, I've said it for the longest, is what's going on in Denver? I just don't know about that that marriage between Nathaniel Hackett, Russell Wilson, you know, if they're going to be able to gel as quickly as they need to. You know, if they get if they get down a few games in the division, they might be in trouble, right? So I, I just don't know how quickly that's going to come together. But, again, we will see. You know, last time we saw Russell Wilson, he wasn't looking that great, but injuries happened, and so I know that he was affected by that. I still think he's a damn good quarterback. So, it's, I mean, it's, it's a hell of a division, obviously. Every game is going to be a dogfight. But, man, it just, it just feels like this team has just as good a chance as anyone else in the division to go win it. They just got to <laughs> just win. I mean, it's just simple as that. Got a few text messages I wanted to get to real quick. 69187, keyword R&R. This one's from the 916. I definitely think this team is going in the right direction. I believe this is the best staff the Raiders have had since the first go-around with John Gruden. And – one, I, I agree whole, wholeheartedly. Two, you look back at some of those, some of those coaching staffs and those uh, you know, rosters and everything that they had after John Gruden, after Bill Callahan took him to the Super Bowl and lost, they were, man, <laughs> they had a lot to be desired, right? And, and, hell, our next guest, Paul, he could tell us better than anybody. I mean, he, he's been on the beat forever with them, right? So he's seen all of that. You know, but, man, even me just watching the team and and covering the team from a distance, obviously not up close to personal like Paul, I could tell you that some of those coaching staffs were just like, man, what is going on out here, (laughs) right? How how did those guys get get hired? But, you know, for one reason or the other, they look like the, you know, the right right fit. Hell, even I even started to become a believer in in, in Del Rio after after he got him to the, the playoffs in 2016. That fell off pretty quick. And then we all know how it shook out. And I think that's why, including myself, most people were fired up about Gruden returning because it's like, well, (laughs) he was the last great coach that they had, you know, and he was great at that time. Obviously, it didn't turn out great this time, but, you know, he he gave him hope and he he, he gave me hope when he returned. And, well, we all know how it all shook out. Uh, Got another text I want to get to from the 505. 
Q is still chasing that Woodson interview, and he thinks he's going to get a Little League World Series coach. Come on, man. Have a good Friday. <laughs> I am going to get the I am going to get the Woodson interview. That's going to happen. And why wouldn't I get the World Series if if I can get the the Little League World Series coach? Why could if if Henderson makes it to the Little League World Series, why wouldn't that coach want to come on and talk? That's that's easy. I, that that's an easy one. The, getting the Charles Woodson interview has been the hard one, but I'll get it. I, I promise you I'll get it at some point. Mailman Raider hit me up and said, Q, if Henderson wins that Little League World Series game, you got to give your boy from Freddie and Fitzsimmons uh, ESPN show an earful. Yeah, Ian Fitzsimmons, man, he was giving me the dirt the other night. He was giving me the dirt when, uh, when matter of fact, these two teams were squaring up, Nevada and Utah, and he didn't even know where Santa Clara, Utah was, but because he had some kind of ties to Utah, he had to pull for him. So when Henderson lost, he was all smiles and giggling and laughing. So, yeah, and I got to work with him tonight. Well, I was supposed to work with him tonight, but he conveniently took Friday off. How nice. He takes Friday off, and I got to work. <laughs> so, but I will. If Henderson wins, I'm going to be on his text message immediately giving him hell. So uh, thank you for that text, Mailman Raider. Definitely appreciate you. I uh, got a text from Sir Whiskey Ray. Q&D, happy Friday, gentlemen. It's Red Polo T-shirt day as I'm ready to hopefully walk around with a brand-new car later this evening. Fingers crossed. Speaking of that, what's your guys' take on Dana White's comments on no pay raises for UFC fighters under his watch? I find that very cold, unfortunately. It's happy hour somewhere, gentlemen. Loving today's show already. Cheers, Sir Whiskey Ray. Tabon, I'll leave that to you. What do you think about Dana White's thoughts? Oh, he said that in like one of those GQ answer any questions that the internet has. Yeah. And his thing is, hey, he is doing right by the fighters. You get to eat what you kill is is with his phrase. So if you win, you will get paid eventually. And if you don't like it, go start your own go start your own fighting promotion. And that's real tough to say, but at this point, that it, it is as good as it's going to get unless you want to go out there and be a household name because you can say that in any league. Hey, an NFL player doesn't think. Hey, we're not getting paid enough. Well, go start your own football league and see how well you'll do. I know that it's tough to say, but when he aren't they? The market, are, are, correct me if I'm wrong because I don't know it like you do. Aren't these guys pretty underpaid though? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, you well know, then, then, getting, then, then he ought to. Yes, they could pay him more. Okay, you're not getting like those huge paydays until you get to the top. Of the court. Gotcha. My guest yesterday, Jamal Hill, mm-hmm. he had an an interesting take of. Why don't the fight? Why doesn't the company get behind him? Mm-hmm. And it was more of he said like, "Oh, the company isn't really investing in those mark in like in American markets where like the players, the pl- a fighter, excuse me, not a player, a fighter from Brazil, he's going to have the Brazilian market, and if he's good enough, the uh, Americans are going to get behind him." I got him. you. So some people, it's just that the company's just not getting <laughs> behind. Right. I got you. I got you. I'm picking up what you're laying down. That's good. That's a great breakdown right there from Demond. You want more breakdowns like that? You check them out every single Thursday. Go ahead and plug your show, man. Oh, the fight game at noon on Thursdays on 12:30. The game podcast version wherever you get your podcast. KLAV the fight game with Demond Cotton Q. I want to answer to that second question that you had. Yeah. About when was the last time that the Raiders were getting this much hype? Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, because I was a freshman in high school at the time, but this is the last time I thought the Raiders, like, ooh, you better watch out for the Raiders. When they got Caution Palmer, I don't know what the national discussion oh, was, man. but for me, that really? was like, hey, you better watch out now. Really? Yeah. Mid-season? Yes. I'll, <laughs> tell you, making moves. I'll tell you right now, and Paul's coming up next, so we've got to take a quick break, but I hated that move. I hated that move with a passion. When he, and, I, and I liked Hugh Jackson a lot, but when he gave up that first-round pick for that guy that was sitting at home on his couch, I was hot. I, I remember I was – arrested. 
I was – yeah, he was rested all right. He looked like he was rested. I was in Texas, and I remember my program director was like, ooh, you guys got Carson Palmer. And I was like, first of all, you guys didn't do a damn thing. <laughs> I ain't got nothing to do with that. And Carson Palmer is a quitter. He's sitting at home like a bum, you know, and they gave up a first round for him. And I know he wasn't a bum, and he did some good things in Arizona, but I did not have a good feeling about Carson Palmer going to the Raiders. And, well, we all know how that shook out. 228 is the time. Let us know, Raider Nation, 69187, keyword R&R. When's the last time the Raiders had this much buzz heading into a regular season? Let me know. I said 2017, but I'd love to hear from you. And also, how are you feeling right now with the current direction of the team? From the front office to the coaches to the players, everybody involved. Where do you feel this team is going? Are they heading in the right direction? Let me know about it. It's Raider Nation Radio, 920. That was the opening drive of Unnecessary Roughness here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Brought to you by Southern Nevada Chevy Dealers, home of the Chevy Silverado, the strongest, most advanced Silverado ever. Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness. I thought you were, thought you were about to ask like a linebacker covering me. That's what I am asking. Yeah, I don't even really see linebackers. It must be if it's like a zone, then it's like a linebacker's in that zone. But man to man, I can't tell you the last time a linebacker guarded me man to man. And you're saying there's no linebacker out there that can hold you. That's what I'm saying. Here on Raider Nation Radio 920, here's your boy Q. Darren Waller right there on the Bustin' with the Boys podcast. Will Compton asking him about a linebacker can cover. Uh, Darren Waller, and I think we all know that linebackers aren't covering Darren Waller, right? I mean, they could try all they want, but there's a handful of, of uh, tight ends in the league that are our next-level tight ends. Darren Waller is one of them, and linebackers aren't just running with that guy. We'll get to some Darren Waller conversation in a few, but right now on the phone lines is our guy, Paul Gutierrez from ESPN. And, Paul, appreciate you as always, my man. And uh, we had a question. Well, Jason Horowitz asked me the question earlier today at practice about buzz and this team. And when was the last time this team had this much buzz and hype leading into a regular season? I said 2017 following, you know, obviously the 2016 playoff loss. You've been covering the team for a very long time. When was the last time the buzz for the Raiders was this high, if, if, if it was ever this high? You mean like when, when somebody from the Raiders could walk in a room and just say, ain't nobody talking when I'm talking to them? You know, <laughs> so shut like the... <laughs> Is that what we're talking about? Yeah, that's what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I'd agree with you. It would be 2017 would be the most recent time, simply because they were coming off that just magical 2016 season that came to a nightmarish end with Derek Carr breaking his leg in the second-to-last game and going to a playoff game in Houston with uh, Connor as, 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 a, as the quarterback, and, and it just... You know, it, it didn't work out that way. And then you add Marshawn Lynch right. uh, to that team, and, and you still had Khalil Mack coming back, and, and, and Del Rio still had control of the team. And, and that season just kind of went off the, the rails real early, week three in Washington. We know what happened that weekend. Yeah, but, buddy. <laughs> uh, heading into that season, uh, they were they were really high. And in, in our own ESPN uh, power rankings, they got up to as high as number two or number three wow. uh, after those first two weeks of year. So there was a lot of buzz, a lot of excitement. And, and But yet that was a known commodity, right? I mean, right. the only unknown there was how was the locker room going to respond to Marshawn Lynch. And he did. I'm not going to say he ruined it, but he definitely altered the chemistry uh, of what that team was built on. This, the, the, the expectation is, is of the unknown. The excitement, is, the buzz is of the unknown because, yeah, you do have uh, an elite play caller, so to speak, in Josh McDaniels. And they added, as I referenced in my story today, you know, the, the shiniest of, of trinkets, so to speak, with right. Devontae Adams to, to pro bowlers at the other skill positions and, and Derek Carr coming off a career high yard and passing yardage. So you got all those things, but 
how does it all fit together? We just don't know. So that's how the buzz is different. But long answer to your short question, it, it's, it's, this is the most buzz since then, in my opinion, but it's a different kind of a buzz because there's more of the unknown. There is a lot of the unknown, and you always talk about the trenches, and that's where games are won and lost. And, of course, the offensive line has been something we talked about for a very long time. Your piece that you put out was about the offensive line. It was a really good piece. We know Brandon Parker is injured. We don't know the severity of when he's going to come back, if he's going to come back. But if he doesn't come back, what do the Raiders do? Do they need to go outside of the organization and at least bring somebody else in for depth? That's what they're going to figure out over these next uh, few preseason games, right? I mean, it's been interesting, and I know we're not supposed to, you know, let everybody know who's playing where and when and what, but it's pretty obvious that, uh, you know, Thayer Munford is kind of the, the benefit, the benefactor, so to speak, of, of all of the, the additional snaps that, he, that he's getting in practices at, at right tackle. Uh, you know, the job should be Alex Leatherwood's to win and or lose. But then you also got uh, Luminor is out there as well that, that has familiarity with the system. So it's again, it's a wide open race, in my opinion, and you just kind of run them out there every game and figure it out. What the key part of that, though, is you also still need not only do you need a starting right tackle, you need that that ultra versatile swing tackle, mm-hmm. and that seemed like that was the role that they were trying to figure out for Brandon Parker by putting him as the starting left tackle, and he struggled there. He'd probably be the first person to tell you that he struggled in that opener at uh, in the Hall of Fame game. But if he is gone for the season or for a, a long amount of time. Then that's two positions really. It's not just one tackle you got to figure out. You got to figure out a starting right tackle plus who's going to be your swing tackle. So these next few exhibition games, the joint practices with the Patriots that are coming up in, in two weeks, that's going to really tell the tale. And then after all the cuts and everything is gone, because remember, the closer we get to the start of the regular season, the more prices start dropping on these free agents and guys that are getting cut that they're going to be available too. Right. You're, you're absolutely right about that. You know, we were talking to Lincoln Kennedy yesterday, and he's always talking about the trenches as well. And I asked him, because the offensive line is that unit that they have to work together, I asked him, how quickly do, do this co- does this coaching staff need to establish who that, that lineup is going to be, that starting offensive line? And he didn't really have an answer for it because I think, like you said, it's a, it's a big unknown. But how quickly do you think that they need to, to establish who the starting five is going to be? Well, you, you, you know that they pretty much established four, right? Uh, right? I mean, unless something crazy happens before. And it, it's that right tackle. And that I would, you know, were I a betting man, and if I had gone to UNLV, and if we lived in Las Vegas where there's casinos, <laughs> I would pencil in Alex Leatherwood at right tackle and mm-hmm. just kind of assume that that's where they're going to go from there. Okay, so if that's the case and if Brandon Parker is out, well, then now who's your swing? Is that a Luminor? But he can also play interior, so that, that helps him. And, and it's funny that even since he first got here, Josh McDaniels has been talking about what makes an, an offensive lineman so valuable is his versatility. And if guys can play multiple positions, that is where they're going to make their make this team and, and make their money, so to speak. And we haven't even talked about Dylan Parham, who yeah. played all three interior positions and, and, oh, by the way, had no no problem whatsoever mixing it up with Max Crosby in practice last week, too. Yeah. This week, I, I, I'm losing track of time. But Me it's, too. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's been an interesting camp, and it's been interesting to watch the – it's kind of like watching the, the offensive line just kind of being boiled down into, okay, who fits here, who fits there. And there's big names that are still out there, obviously, that, that you think you can just plug and play. But it's real hard, and Lincoln will be the first to tell you. And when I was doing the book with Lincoln the last year, it's very hard to find guys on the offensive line that you can just plug and play. Because, again, like we talked about right at the top, it's not just about simply plugging somebody into a system and everybody else can just kind of absorb it. All five guys on that line that are starting, they're all learning a new system too. Right. 
Yep, exactly right. And we, we talked to Andre James following practice today, and he seems like he's a little bit more confident in his position. He feels a little bit, you know, after having that year under his belt. Uh, but he does have a young Dylan Parham right behind him, and, and Dylan's playing all those inside positions. What kind of role do you think Dylan plays in, in 2022 with the Raiders? Yeah, he's the jack-of-all-trades, right? I mean, he's the backup center. Um, he's going to push Simpson for some time at, at left guard. And, and if Lester Cotton starts to slip at right guard, there he is right there, too. So, He's that Swiss Army knife on that offensive line, especially the interior, which doesn't get enough credit either. And, you know, like, like Brandon Parker told us early in camp, you know, they, the line realizes they've been the butt of jokes a little bit. So they've got this chip on their shoulder trying to figure it out. And when it comes to a rookie like Parham or even Munford in the seventh round, these guys have really impressed not only with their play, but with their mentals and with their, what they bring in terms of maturity to the offensive line too. And, and when you've got an offensive line that's, that's uh, trying to come together and coalesce and become like a formidable unit, that's what you need to happen. And, and I talked to Lincoln, too, for this story that I did on the offensive line, and, and he said basically they're just giving all these guys another chance, and they're trying to not only develop them but also build up the uh, the guys of versatility but also build up the, the depth of it as well. So to me it all starts and ends with the offensive and defensive lines, and you know the Raiders have all these – toys and shiny toys that should make Derek Carr happy and everything else, but none of it matters if Derek's running for his life on every single play. Right. No, you're 100% right about that. Again, we're talking with Paul Gutierrez from ESPN here on Radio Nation Radio 920 on Necessary Roughness. My man, Damon's got one for you. Yeah, Paul, in the preseason, it's known that in the second half, you're really not going to be able to evaluate too much because you're looking at some second and third stringers. But how much should this projected starting offensive line play with each other in the first half of the game for you to see enough to believe that they are making some improvements? Uh, if not more than what they did last week, right? I mean, you had those starters go into the second quarter, so they would play, what, two or three series together? I think you see a little bit more of that. And then you, uh, when they go to Miami, I believe you pull, you know, get your foot off of the gas for a little bit because then you got those ultra-important uh, joint practices with the Patriots where the starters actually get more out of those than in these exhibition games. And, you know, you look back at how they played in, against Jacksonville, and, and they did, it was solid. It was good. Mm. But then, you know, if you want to look at it from the, the cynical point of view, it's like, yeah, they, they did okay against um, backups from a, and, and, and guys that aren't even going to make the team from the team that had the worst record in the NFL last year. Okay, throw that out. Yeah. But, but this is what it is. They, 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 choose, they can't choose their opponents. I mean, they can choose where they're playing, I guess, because Josh McDaniels wanted to play in Canton. That's yeah. cool. But, you know, and it's probably a good thing because that gave them an extra week. It gave them an extra game. And when it comes to the offensive line, uh, the more reps, and Lincoln Kennedy has said it, and I heard him say it to you guys too, you have to play to get comfortable with each other, and you only get better by playing. Yeah, I've never covered a joint practice. So what is it about the joint practice? Because I've heard it from you and many others now that say that's going to be more important than maybe some of the preseason games for this offensive line to gel. So what are you looking for and what is the team looking for in a joint practice as opposed to a preseason game? Because you actually have the starters going against the starters and temperatures rise and there was that huge brawl in <laughs> with the Rams yes. last year that we all saw and then we saw Hunter Renfro put on a show against Jalen Ramsey. Again, we don't know what Jalen Ramsey was working on. He could have been trying some different stuff, but, but uh, Hunter was cooking. There's no doubt about that. So when, when these guys are facing each other, the competitive nature of that is unlike anything they will have seen or in camp or during the preseason anyways. So that's where you're actually getting good work in. It's dangerous when fights happen and, and guys want to take cheap shots or, or you've got a guy who's uh, on the edge of not making the roster maybe going up and taking a shot at an established starter. 
but that's what, where the joint practices are, are a little bit more important in the minds and eyes of, of personnel evaluators and coaches and things like that because you get an actual competitive experience, albeit in a controlled environment. Paul, in your piece, uh, Lincoln was talking about the big X factor is where Leatherwood's confidence is. From what you've been able to see when he talks to us in media sessions, uh, from what you've been able to see when he's out there in the practice field, where do you think his confidence is at right now? Well, it's got to be better than last year after after everything that happened. I mean, you know, four games into the season, you get switched from the position in which you were drafted to play. I mean, that's that's got to shock you and rock you a little bit. And his body language was was pretty bad that day he came in. You kind of felt bad for him. But again, it's it's the nature of of the beast in which we're talking to these guys. They're bringing them into a podium after practice, and everybody's just launching questions at him. There's nothing <laughs> normal about that, right? And not to say that a locker room setting is normal when they're sitting there in their underwear or in complete undress, and you talk to them. But at least in there, you can you can have a conversation. Here, you're, you're interrogating them, so you can't really tell where they are. Now, looking at him on the field and, and doing his thing, he looks like he belongs. Uh, but to try to get into his, his mental uh, health, so to speak, and where his confidence is, it, it's kind of tough to tell right now. And that's one of the reasons why, and I know we talked about this last time, uh, kind of excited about getting back in the locker room, yeah. if for nothing else than to be able to take the fans someplace they can't go. And yes. telling those <laughs> stories fairly and accurately. Man. Not only for fans, but for the players themselves. Right. No, you're 100% right. I'll tell you, just being back in the locker room at the Hall of Fame game or after the Hall of Fame game was great. I mean, it really was. It was almost like foreign territory. Like, wait a minute, what is this thing we call a locker room? <laughs> right? Yeah. It was yeah, exactly. It was great. So I look forward to that coming up on Sunday as well. And, and Paul, speaking of, of mentals, um, I was really impressed yesterday when we talked to Thayer Munford and the way that as a young rookie he opened up to having, you know, a, a lot of the, the mental anxiety going on and that he was seeking help and he was receiving help and that that's just the way to roll what was your thoughts when you were hearing what, uh, what, what Thayer Mumford had to say yesterday? Yeah, I looked up and I thought, I thought it was just impressive because it's one of those things that five, six, seven years ago, there was no way any football player in the, in the most macho sport of all was ever going to admit to, hey, you know, back in OTAs, I was wondering, do I even belong here? Mm-hmm. So I talked to my counselor and I just didn't say, and you kind of remember back to when the Lakers with Kobe were, were winning titles um, post Jack and, and Ron Artest, world, you know, yeah. uh, world, Meta world peace. Oh, gosh. Yeah, Meta World Peace. I yep. want to say World Be Free. But that's a different guy. That's yeah, another guy. <laughs> first, first thing he said was, you know, one of the first people he thanked was his uh, psychologist, yep. his, his counselor. And it, it shows you how far we've come, I think, as a society, as a group of sports journalists, as sports figures, to be able to talk about something that, that's real. And for him to be able to do that as a rookie and really his first time at the podium in front of all of us, like I said, it's it's more of an interrogation than a conversation. Mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty impressive. And, and uh, when I caught up with Darren Waller at the Aces game last night, I mentioned it to him, and he said, yeah, he's one of the rookies that's really, really impressed him, and he's really excited, and he thinks he's going to do great things. Not just because of what he was talking about, but that adds to the full picture of who this young man is. Right. No, I was I was super impressed. I really was. And and I don't know what he's going to do. I mean, again, a seventh round pick, that's tough to, you know, to make the squad. But if you put in the work, you can get you you can get there, you know. And so uh, we'll see what happens with there. But man, I was impressed that the first time, like you mentioned, he takes the podium. uh, He just kind of opens up and lets it rip. And, you know, he he did. He did great. You know, I was like, man, let's talk to that guy again. Right. I mean, he was uh, really cool. And so, Paul, before we let you go, you uh, you mentioned talking to Darren Waller at the Aces game. Uh, you, you tweeted out about him returning possibly uh, next week. He thinks maybe he'll return next week. What was your overall vibe and your takeaway when you talked to Darren? 
just seems like he's just kind of biting. I hate to say biding his time, but but definitely he's taking care of some things, uh, whether it's physical or otherwise. Um, I, I got the sense that it's really not that big of a deal. Uh, he definitely deferred, you know, official questions to his coach. He respect out of respect to Josh McDaniels, but the sense I got was, hey, you know, he's just kind of making sure that everything is right before he gets back out there. And and uh, you know, I wasn't going to quote him or, or put him on the record, but it's right. obvious by by what I had reported that uh, we should, could, would see him next week at practice. And if that's the case, then I think a lot of the Raider fans and Raider coaches really, and probably even his quarterback and other guys on the team, will be able to finally exhale a little bit. Yeah, I think so. And so uh, that was cool. And I, I think it's awesome to be able to, you know, go to the Aces game and see Darren Waller sitting courtside, you know, cheering on Kelsey and the team. And I just, I don't know, I mean, I just, the whole vibe at the Aces games are great. I love it. So uh, I, I try to get out there as often as possible, but you know how it is. It's super busy. Yep. So, yeah, good luck. <laughs> yeah, no, it was a lot of fun there, too. And I've mentioned this before. And I covered the Aces in the playoff run last year. And, and for, you know, old time, old school, long time Vegas sports journalist, kind of myself, so to speak. The last time I went to a local Vegas basketball game that had that much atmosphere, Sean Marion was lacing it up for the running Rebels back in 98-99. So, and I did miss a little bit of the long Kruger years and things like that, but for me personally, that was the last time I felt a, a vibe that strong at a, a local basketball game was Sean Marion at UNLV back in the day. Boom, there you go right there. And I know that that, kind of a, that was some real deal electricity with Sean Marion and uh, UNLV and the Running Rebels. Good stuff. Well, Paul, uh, we appreciate you as always. I know I always ask you what you got coming out. So you got something coming out that's not giving too much away, but you're kind of giving <laughs> us a little tease. I got to get a little tease from you. Well, besides uh, listening to the rest of Ice Cube's The Predator album, <laughs> I'm going I'm to keep going on to some uh, – I'm gonna do, yeah, did, did Demond like not like West Coast hip hop? What's the, what's the story here? What's yeah, the no, he didn't know anything. Oh, has no myself. knowledge, no knowledge of West Coast hip hop no, at one all. Of Ice Cube's first solo albums, I really dig it. Um, is it the? <laughs> Dang, yeah, America's I'm, Most Wanted. Yeah, that one. Oh It's got a couple. It's got you got to learn him, Q. You I'm trying to learn him, man. I'm trying to learn him. This youngster <laughs> right here. I'm trying to bring him along. He doesn't. He doesn't get it. He's on the West Coast, but doesn't respect and love the West Coast hip hop. So we got to get him there. Okay, we'll get well, him there. Well, and then when he when he when he's studying that, maybe you can read my story on the running backs that I'll have coming up next week. There it is. Boom. That's a great tease right there from Paul Gutierrez at ESPN. Paul, as always, man. Thanks so much for your time. I'll see you on Sunday at Allegiant. Be stalking, walking in my big black boots. <laughs> Voodoo. That's right. There it is. There it goes, Paul. Good stuff. And uh, we've been talking about Ice Cube, the Predator, for a few days now. So uh, that's that's stuck in my head. And yeah, I I cannot I cannot let it go. I cannot sing the words on the air, but I cannot let it go. It's going to be in my head for uh, weeks now. So uh, good stuff from Paul. Great breakdown of the offensive line. And uh, so yeah, I think that takes you behind the scenes a little bit. But definitely appreciate him and his efforts. Two forty nine is the time. Take a quick break. Come back. Close out our number one this is Radio nation radio 920 welcome back to unnecessary roughness, unnecessary roughness. here on raider nation radio 920 i'm gonna have to kick you you know what today here's your boy q got a tweet from aaron 2017 was for sure the last time the raiders were getting this much hype as far as the new regime i'm feeling so good about it from dave ziegler to josh mcdaniels to the position coaches simmons pierce etc you can hear the intelligence and attention to detail, which is such a change-up from the past teams who had talent but didn't have the discipline to get the job done. It's a long way to go, but it feels different. That's from Aaron. Also got a text on the Sam and Ash text line from Rob in Oakland. You could always text in at 69187, keyword R&R. I'm not saying this is the last time the Raiders were hyped, but I want to put it out there. September 5th, 1994, Monday Night Football, 
L.A. Raiders versus the Winers at Winers. Hope, hopes were high. The Raiders were, had reloaded in the offseason and were putting together a Super Bowl run. Rice had never scored a touchdown versus the Raiders, something I used to throw in the face of Winer fans on my block. First quarter, Rice, 69-yard touchdown catch. Early fourth quarter, Rice, 23-yard touchdown run. Later fourth quarter, Rice, 38-yard touchdown catch. Winers beat us 44-14, to and Rice broke Jim Brown's record for the most career touchdowns. The sports page headline the next day, Contenders versus Pretenders. That was one of the most devastating losses I can remember. That's Rob in Oakland. I remember that game like it was yesterday. I absolutely remember that game. And I, I want to say, well, I don't remember who the DB was that he caught that first touchdown pass on that 69-yard one that you're talking about. But I remember him jumping up and uh, catching it, basically landing on his back in the end zone and landing on top of the DB or whatever. It was, it was bad. It, it, was, it was really bad. And that, was, that started the unraveling. It was like, oh, man. This is going to be one of those games. I remember that one like it was yesterday, so that's a really good one, uh, Rob. Thanks for that text. Got another one from Glenn in San Jose. What up, Q? What up, Damon? I feel so good about the Raiders right now. I predict Daniel Carlson will not attempt as many field goals as he did last season. That's going to be a key to victory. That's how the Raiders are going to have to win a lot of games, right? Not have Daniel Carlson kick as many field goals as he did last year. It's great that he's money and that he makes them. But you don't want to trot him out there as much as the Raiders had to a season ago. You've got to be able to cash in on the red zone. And that's something. And, DeMond, you played a little soundbite from Darren Waller on Bustin' with the Boys, the, the podcast, uh, Will Compton and Company. And that was something that was talked about in that podcast was the red zone. You know, and it's, it's so funny. I remember when – I forget who interviewed uh, Darren Waller, but he was on his little media tour that he was doing in the summer. Someone asked him about Rich Basaccia. It might have been Rich Eisen. He asked him about Rich Basaccia, and he said, yeah, we, you know, we love Rich, and we wanted Rich to be the coach like everyone in the locker room did. But as soon as Josh gave us the, the plan on what the red zone was going to look like, you know, how to be successful in the red zone, we all understood why he got the job because they knew that that's where they struggled the most was in the red zone. And I don't want to – that's not the exact words that Darren said, but it was something close to that. And then on that Busting with the Boys podcast, you know, he, he said that there was times that he felt like there was no plan for him in the red zone. And I think his exact words were, there's no reason why my big ass ain't dominating down there. Like, <laughs> like that was the way he said it. Like, there ain't no reason why my big ass ain't dominating down there. And you know what? He's not wrong. When you got that kind of size, you got that kind of mismatch, hell, you can go back to the last play of last season. What was the last play of last season? Against the Bengals in the playoffs. They throw the ball short to Zay Jones. Why not throw the ball into the end zone to Darren Waller and give him a chance to at least go make a jump ball and go get it? Matter of fact, they could have done that two plays in a row. Instead of clocking the ball, they could have done that a few plays in a row, right? Go to your guy. There just seemed like there was no rhyme or reason to what they were doing in the red zone. So that is a big key right there. And if they're more successful in the red zone, then Glenn in San Jose is going to be 100% right that Daniel Carlson will not be kicking as many field goals as he did last season. Coming up next, we'll kick off hour number two. Jason Horowitz joins the show. This is Radio Nation Radio 920.